Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church podcast where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. This is the message for the fifth Sunday of Easter and this sermon was given by Todd Zirkel, a lay member in our congregation, unpacking for us this story in Acts as Peter is reimagining what the church looks like. And so I invite you to join along with us today. A reminder that our services are available in their entirety on our YouTube channel, which is linked in the podcast notes below. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available. You can subscribe using your favorite podcasting app. Also, if you are feeling generous, we would love it if you would help to support the mission and ministries of this church. There is a donate button in the podcast notes below if you would like to make a financial contribution to the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove. Lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. The scripture lesson for this sermon it comes from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance and saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was it I that could... Who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, may the words that come out of my mouth be what you want us to hear and what you want to say. And uh, we just bless everybody here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a perspective of what was going on. I'm trying not to have too many asides that um, break from the story of what I'm going to tell, but some of it's important so that we understand what's going on. First, um, Caesarea is uh, uh, 
the seat of the government of Palestine. That's where the headquarters are for the, the legions that protect the head of government there. And it's about um, 30 miles. It's 30 miles north of Joppa. Okay. Within that group of Roman legion soldiers that are there also, um, they have divisions within an army to help us understand who our main character is going to be today. When you have a legion that's about 6,000 people, 6,000 men that are in an army, within an army of a legion there are 10 cohorts. Cohorts each own about 600 men. Within there, they're broken down into centuries which have 100 per in, in each. So it's kind of like a battalion, okay? And within those 100, um, they're the company, the centurions are in charge of the company. So a centurion has a lot of men under them. They're basically the, the fighting force that makes things happen. They don't want to run into battle too rashly and get slaughtered. They got to be prudent, but they got to have leaders that'll take them into battle and know when to go into battle. Um, and our hero, or one of the heroes of the story, is a centurion. Um, Another background that I want to tell you is what a God-fearing Gentile is. Does anyone know what a God-fearing Gentile was? So back in the times um, around Christ, there were God-fearing Gentiles who appreciated the way the Jews practiced their religion by their ethics, by the way they lived, by the way they acted. And many chose not to believe in the myriad of immoral gods that the ancient world used to, to worship. And they chose to worship one God. So these weren't um, Christians because Christ hadn't um, built his church yet. They were God-fearing Gentiles that believed and prayed and were devout to God. But as far as being entered into Judaism, they would have to accept the law and be circumcised and follow everything the Jews did if they were going to become Jews themselves. Otherwise, they were just God-fearing Gentiles. Does that make sense? So in light of that, let me start a story. So in Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius who was a centurion. He was in the Italian regiment. He and his family were devout, and they were God-fearing. He gave generously and prayed to God regularly. So that's our, our person, someone who's of quite amount of importance in the Gentile world, who also believes in God, follows God, is a pretty good person, prays, and, uh, and follows the one true God, even though um, he's not become a full Jew, okay? An angel appeared to him in a vision, and basically said, Cornelius, and he's like, uh, yes? Because, I mean, how many angels in shining cloth, whatever, show up to a Gentile and start talking to him. But um, while he was praying, it was around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the way the Jews prayed at 3 o'clock in the afternoon is when the, the angel appeared to him. He said, what is it, Lord? And he said, uh, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Send men to Joppa, to Simon, called Peter, who's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So an angel of God just appeared to a Gentile and basically said that the devoutness and the way you act has come before God's attention like a memorial offering, like the smoke rising from an offering. 
So God's pleased with how this Gentile is God-fearing and devout, and the way he acts is like receiving a memorial offering to heaven. So he sends the angel and tells him, go and find Simon, who's called Peter, who's living in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So go 30 miles and go find this guy. And he's like, okay. So he gets up two of his servants and one of his devout soldiers, who is one of his attendants, and it tells him everything that happened and said, uh, go, and find, go and find this Simon Peter. Okay. That's the first part of the story. There's three parts. The second part is what's going on with Peter. Simon, who's called Peter, is living in Simon the Tanner's house at the moment. Interestingly, uh, uh, another side note that I wasn't going to talk about, but I will. A tanner is someone who handles dead animals. In the Jewish faith, that's about as unclean as you can possibly get. So that's why he was probably living by the sea, away from the town of Joppa, because as far as the Jews were concerned, that's almost untouchable. You can't go anywhere near that. But um, it seems that Peter was already maybe in the mindset of what does clean and unclean maybe have to do with it, because he was already willing to be staying at Simon the Tanner's house. So that's interesting aside, but... Anyway, so Peter, staying at Simon the Tanner's house, goes up to the roof to pray while his meal's being prepared, and he falls into a trance. So somewhere in the afternoon, he was getting hungry and decided to go up to the roof. The roofs were flat, and it was a peaceful place away from the hustle and bustle of what's going on in the house where you could go up and you could pray. That happened a lot. So he goes up there, and he has a trance. And he sees the heavens open up, and a sheet comes down, like a sheet, suspended by its four sides, its four corners. And on that sheet are a ton of four-legged animals and reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And he hears a voice, and the voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, for Jews who were very strict on what was considered clean and unclean for animals, you could have cloven animals, I believe, and there was uh, another part about them that makes them clean, but none of these animals were considered clean as far as the Jews were concerned. So his immediate response is, Lord, I can't do that. I've never put an unclean animal or anything like that in my mouth before. I can't do it. And uh, he says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And that happened three times in a row. Anyone know advertising, the rule for advertising? If you listen to the radio, pay attention because you'll catch it. And then you'll be like, I can't stand it that they're doing this to me. Tell someone something three times, they're going to get it. Tell them something three times and they're going to get it. I've already said it once before, so I've said it three now. <laughs> Tell someone something three times and they'll get it, okay? Well, the angel comes down and he basically says, kill and eat from this selection of animals. And he didn't say clean or unclean. He just said from this. And he goes, I can't. I'm not supposed to do that. And he goes, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. So Simon's up here on the roof thinking about this for a second. And meanwhile... Those two servants and the um, devout soldier that um, Cornelius had sent from 30 miles away are about to arrive. And the, um, the angel basically says, go and answer the door. Three people are coming to see you. So he comes down from the roof, having had this experience with the, the, the angel come and showing him this vision. And while he's trying to work on that, he's told, go down and see that there's these people at the door. Meanwhile, you got people at the door who were sent by an angel of God to a Gentile 
who told everything to his men and said, go find this guy. So they're probably standing outside the door because they can't go into that house either because they're not Jews, they're not clean. So he basically opened the door and there they are out there and he's like, what do you want? You know, why are you here? And they, uh, so they start to tell him the story. Um, and um, let me see where I'm at. I am jumping ahead. So I'm going to go back to an aside in a second. But So Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So he goes down to see the men. Uh, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men reply, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. So because it was late in the day, Peter invited him into the house, which never happens because they're not Jews, they're Gentiles, but to come into the house and be his guests. So we're talking in the Middle East, 30 miles is a hike. Anyone do a walkathon and walk 20 miles? Sounds good. Have you ever done it? The first time, the first half you'll go, you'll probably stop for lunch. The second half you're like, oh my God, you walk like 10 steps after lunch and you can't even walk and you got to do this whole thing again over the second 10 miles, whatever. Don't ever sign up for 20 mile walk. This is 30 miles in the desert. Now they were probably a lot hardier than we are. We're kind of a little soft when it comes to doing a hard day's work, but that's a pretty good hike walking 30 miles in the desert. So don't discount how big of a journey that was. All right. So going back to how we were talking about um, clean and unclean, there's something that Jesus took care of already um, in Matthew 15, verse 11. Um, when the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus and asked him why your disciples keep breaking the traditions of the elders, um, Jesus recounts Isaiah's prophecy. And Isaiah's prophecy said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So Jesus said, listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that's what makes him unclean. At that part, Jesus was talking about what comes out of your mouth is what comes from the heart. If evil comes out of your mouth, it's the evil that's coming out of your heart. What you say and what you do and what you speak is whether you're clean or unclean, not by what you put in your mouth. And that sort of laid it to rest. But the Jews were still practicing that Gentiles were unclean and they weren't allowed into uh, Jews' houses and they weren't allowed to do anything until they started living by the Jewish law, getting circumcised, and then they could come into synagogues and stuff. So Jesus had already sort of laid the, the groundwork a little bit for the clean and unclean argument. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So now... Um, the third part of the story is now Peter is going to follow these guys and make the 30-mile trip back again. So his, the, the two servants and the soldier had already made a 30-mile trip, and they turn around, and they're going to make it back again to bring this guy back. And Peter is now going to go with three Gentiles who came to get him. So he ends up taking six of the circumcised crowd of Jews who were believers already, and he took them with him. And they're going to go and find out what's going on here with this Cornelius the Centurion. So as they approach, uh, Cornelius already knew he was coming. So um, as he comes into the house, um, Peter realizes that there's a huge crowd of people. He had brought all his relatives and close friends who were also devout believers into the house to hear what he had to say. 
So um, Peter comes in and he goes, um, Cornelius drops to his feet um, as if he's going to like bow down. He's going to bow down to him. And Peter stops him almost immediately. Remember, we're talking about a 30-mile trek in sandals in the desert and a centurion who's a leader of men, a leader of Gentiles and respected in the Jews is going to drop to his feet to worship or at least bow down to the rank of Peter who was above him in the, the church ranking anyway. Peter stopped him and said, don't do that, I'm just a man and stops him from doing that. But it's a pretty big thing. You have to understand how big it is that a centurion was going to bow down to the feet of someone who just finished a huge journey and he was a Jew. And that was big. But Peter stopped him because he didn't want him to start worshiping him as a man or have some sort of a weird hierarchy of who he should worship because only God should have been worshipped. So he stopped him. All right. So talking with him, Peter goes inside and they find the large gathering of people. He said... Um, to the people, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So that's the first time he recognizes maybe what his vision was about, and he's relaying it um, to these guys. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Why am I here? Okay. And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was in my house praying at about this time, and an angel of the Lord came to me and said, uh, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer. He remembers your gifts to the poor. So go to Joppa and get Simon, who's called Peter. And he's uh, in the home of Simon the Tanner by the sea. Go get him and bring him back. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So that's what Cornelius is telling Peter. Peter says, I know, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and who do what is right. He's saying this because this couldn't have happened without the intervention of God by sending his angels to meet this meeting happen, by both of them being willing to go and fetch Peter, and for Peter being willing to go and be sent on this journey to talk to the centurion. God, God made all that happen. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what's happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. This is what Peter told the, the group of believers. This is powerful stuff, all right? We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. So the Holy Spirit just descended on Gentiles in the presence of a witness 
who had been a witness to all those things, bringing the story, we have seen this. This is Jesus the Christ. He's the one that will give you forgiveness of sins if you ask. And they all believed, and they all, at that moment, received the Holy Spirit. That's the, the biggest change in the way that the Christian church would come about. It hadn't even been called the Christian church yet until later in this chapter. But now it's not just Jews. It's not just Jesus believing Jews, because not all the Jews believe Jesus and who he said he was. But now any Gentile had just received the one thing that any bit of law or any bit of following Jewish custom could grant anybody. They received the Holy Spirit the same way that the Jews who believed received the Holy Spirit. Okay. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. They heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So the Gentiles were now showing the signs of the Holy Spirit by speaking in tongues while they're praising God. So Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just like we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. I'm sure they had a lot they wanted to know about Peter because he lived with Jesus and seen all these things. But while he was giving his testimony of what Jesus told them to do, which was to preach redemption to everybody and tell them that he was who they said he was, that Jesus was who Jesus said he was, that um, that's how you're going to build the church and that's how you're going to build believers. And while he was doing that, the Holy Spirit came down on Gentiles and entered them and the, the, the first church with Jews and Gentiles has now been born with born again believing Gentiles being added to the mix. Okay. So when we look back at chapter 11, we see a synopsis that looks like the circumcised were accusing Peter of having anything to do with the unclean Gentiles. You can't do these unclean practices. And so you could get lost on that synopsis, not understanding the backstory of what all this meant. It wasn't so much that they were upset that Gentiles had been brought into the fold. They were upset that they weren't supposed to be breaking these laws and they were all wrapped around the law and they couldn't figure out why Peter was doing that, okay? So when Peter, who brought these six witnesses with him in, in um, Egyptian law, if you have seven people, then you've got the right because you've proven it with seven witnesses, okay? And there's another um, tradition in the Roman tradition that if you have seven seals, that makes it right. So seven is very important in the, the veracity of something. And he brought six of these circumcised believers with him and him. And they all said the Holy Spirit came on these people. And the people who were accusing him said, oh, that's awesome. Hey. And they, they accepted his, his explanation. And they all started praising God because now the redemption that Jesus had brought was now given to the Gentiles as well. So if you just read chapter 11, you're like, it's all about the circumcised Jews getting mad at Peter, and I don't, I don't know what it's about. And, hey, okay, I get it. Yep, hey, welcome, and we all started praising God. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but when you read it from the whole story of chapter 10 leading up to it, it all makes sense, okay? It wasn't that the circumcised Jews who were born again and had the Holy Spirit living in them were upset that the Gentiles became Christians, but they couldn't get past the clean and the unclean part. So that's a big part of the story, too. But now 
you can see that the law isn't invalid, but the law was necessary. We've talked about this in another time I've talked, that the law had to be given to put the framework in place for people to understand what was happening. But when Jesus came, he didn't make the law invalid, but it was no longer about the law anymore. Now it was about whether or not you choose Jesus, whether or not you choose the redemption that he offers by asking for forgiveness of your sins and living that love and living that sinlessness and dedicating yourself to that. That's what mattered and that's what's important. So in this series, I can't talk to all of the things pastor is trying to get across before we started talking about taking our church outside the walls and how that all plays in. But this is a really important part. You gotta be willing to go. You gotta be willing to be sent. You have to be in the mindset that Jesus did a lot to make it, um, God's kingdom open to everybody. And God's going to make some stuff happen that you may not anticipate. You may not understand or you may not be able to wrap your brain around how this could possibly be. So we can't do that. Just watch God work and be ready and open to watch God make things happen. That's a good takeaway from this. Okay. Also, um, both of the parties of this, um, Cornelius' side and Peter's side, God did something to make that happen. So don't think that everything that you're making, if you're going to go out and convert believers and you're going to go out there and show the world Christ, that it has anything to do with you. God does not need you one bit. He wants you. He wants you to be willing to go when he sends you. But don't get any confusion in your head. It's not you who's doing it. It's God who's sending you and you allowing him to work through you that's going to do that. So maybe perhaps as we go out into our community with this in mind, understand that you're going to be shocked. You might see God work in a way you've never seen him work before. And the answer is, oh, it sounds right to me. Praise God. Because that might be the answer. Because your narrow mind and your narrow focus and what you think is right could be completely flipped on its head if you miss the message. You miss the message that Jesus already covered clean and unclean. You miss the message that redemption was for anybody. Even Luke in his book before this, which is the book of Luke, talked about how anyone who receives Christ can become part of the, the Christian faith. It was, so in looking back at this, when you see a scripture reference in a church service, don't necessarily take it out of context and say, I have no idea what that's about. Find out what the context is. This context was a lot longer chapter. Chapter 10 is huge compared to chapter 11. But it's important. Why is it? How do we know it's important? What were, what were the books of the Bible written on back in the day? Scrolls? How long is a scroll? About 35 feet, maybe. One long enough to write the book of Acts on. Acts is the largest book in the New Testament. And Luke wasn't exactly flowery in his speech everywhere. But he stated this story twice. And it's repeated a couple times within each of the two tellings what was going on. Talked about Cornelius and his experience with the, the angel and calling Peter. About Peter having his vision and under, trying, starting to understand what that means and how that is going to play in the future church. And God bringing them together um, the miracle that happened with the, the, the Holy Spirit coming on the Gentiles, all of that. So anyway, 
Don't take it out of context and read a small section. Find out what the story's about because now if we read the scripture lesson, and I'm not going to read it again because it's, they'll be repeating it for more than the third time, and if you did it three times, how many times do you need to hear it? Three times. Okay. The circumcised, born-again, believing Jews heard Peter's excuse and go, oh, well, that makes sense. Praise God. Now we've got Gentiles in our fold, too, and that's what our reaction's got to be. Okay? That's all I have.